0: welcome back to what we don't know i'm your host xander schultz i'm here with phineas phineas i love who we're chatting with today you want to introduce him
1: absolutely today we have adnan khan his organization is called restore justice their focus is on extreme sentencing and also the more general dismantling of our incarceration system in this country He has an incredible personal story. He spent 16 years in prison under a 25 to life sentence and founded his organization while in prison and was able to lead the charge on amending the law that put him behind bars in the first place and was the first person to be released when that new bill was enacted.
0: Yeah, his focus is on uh, what they call in in the uh, reform movement extreme sentencing. We have a lot of cases in our system where folks get these like additional charges that add on 10, 20, 30 years to to your sentence. And then also just in general sentencing, you know, when someone gets sentenced for a crime, it's, it's, it's way too harsh, it goes on way too long. I was super excited to chat with Adnan because of what you just mentioned. He started this organization while he was incarcerated and actually passed the legislation that ended up freeing him while he was incarcerated. So I think anyone would be like, how the hell do you do such a thing? How does that actually go down? What else is this guy going to achieve if he does that?" that while in those circumstances. And now he's starting to be recognized for his work. He's starting to get funded properly. You know, he's, he's able to expand his work, hire, hire more folks. He's just an exciting person to talk to at this stage in his career. And he will undoubtedly continue to be a leader in the movement for years to come. Adnan Khan, thanks for being on the show, brother.
1: Hey Xander, great to see you again, and thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: right on, man. So can you define for me and for other people, what what are we talking about when we talk about extreme sentencing?
1: Uh, well, first I want to say um, I come from the framework of all sentencing is, is bad. Um, so I want to start by just laying that framework and groundwork. When I talk about extreme sentencing, I come from a very personal perspective of being sentenced to life in prison. And extreme is just excess. anything excessive. Really quick, I want to add that there's a research or a quote by the Prison Policy Initiative that says, every year that someone spends incarcerated takes two years off of their life expectancy. Hmm. So our goal goal has always been our advocacy to talk about the extreme part of it, the the death sentences, life sentences. I mean, I have friends who are still in prison and 43 years later, they were sentenced to seven years to life in in, uh, 1978, for example. Seven years to life, which meant they were do, they were to do seven years and be, appear before the parole board. But forty-three years later, he's still in there. Uh, and really quick, I want to I want to build a little context about my accountability. So for me, by the time I was seventeen, I was a I was a parentless, homeless, high school dropout. Right when I turned, by the time I was eighteen, under layers and layers of trauma and those conditions that I told you, yes, I did commit harm. And subsequently, I was sentenced to life in prison. When I understood, man, Alexander, what I I did, uh, yes, I took personal responsibility for what I did. But when I understood why I did it, how I went from an eight-year-old little league baseball player to an 18-year-old with a life sentence, why I was unhoused at 17, where were the social services, why I was school to prison pipeline. I went to six different high schools, night school, summer school, continuation school, still didn't get a chance to graduate. I got my GED in jail. Right and like systemically when I understood like the systemic factors that led me to committing my harm and so what my activism and advocacy is rooted in in my amends so when I talk quote unquote when I talk shit about the system or when I advocate against the system and and the harm of the system I'm not not being accountable that's actually my, actively me seeking responsibility because I don't want another family or another person to harm themselves or harm someone else the system refuses to take accountability for the harm it's done for centuries. We
0: are getting into like the broader topic of like just why the United States is a disaster when it comes to justice across the board, particularly with like handing out life sentences.
1: For for me in my case, right, I went to I went to trial for, uh, my two charges were robbery, murder. I'm the non-killer quote unquote in the crime. It was, a, uh, I didn't know that was gonna happen. I didn't know my co-defendant who was Young, 21 years old at the time, bipolar, schizophrenic, wasn't taking his medication, uh, layers of trauma. And out of nowhere, he had a mental health, I guess, episode, and, and he took the life of this young man. And so the felony murder rule, for example, for me was that I was, I was yes, guilty, and still am guilty of committing a felony. In my case was a snatch and grab of $1,000 worth of, of weed. And that's what I committed, agreed to. But when I went to trial, I was not on trial for a murder. I was on trial for an intent to commit a robbery, Mm. which I was guilty of. Like I said, I still am guilty of. When the jury found me guilty of um, of that intent to commit a robbery, the next phase was a judge's phase. And according to the law, the judge had to sentence me mandatory 25 years to life for technically an intent to commit a robbery under the law, which said I was equally guilty of a person losing their life right so i was found guilty i was still in county jail waiting to be sentenced by the judge i, w- I was um seen by what they call like a psych slash probation report they have to do this report on me um which this report by the way follows you throughout your prison incarceration it's a summary of of your crime it's a summary of that meeting and that evaluation of you in this moment so right before i was sentenced i met this person and then about a, a few weeks later, I get this report and I'm reading the report after meeting a probation report. And it said that I had shown great remorse that they don't see, you know, based on everything, they don't see any violence in my future. And that if it had not been for a mandatory sentence, they would recommend probation.
0: 25 years. And they're saying if I had autonomy to choose, it would be no years. It would just be probation. What you're talking about here is is mandatory minimums, which not everyone's familiar with can you explain what how a mandatory minimum what it, what it is and how it works
1: well very very generally there's so many you know as you know there's different there's different kinds but generally it is like there's a minimum number you will be sentenced to for example gang enhancements gun enhancements 25 to life
0: meaning if someone if a prosecutor decides to charge you with this charge and you are found guilty there is a minimum amount of years the jury or the judge can give you. They cannot go lower than that amount.
1: Yes. Like in my situation, even if probation is recommended, you still have to get that mandatory, that minimum. And like I said, in my situation, it was 25 to life. But Bazander, but, but one thing I want to bring up about the scheme of sentencing and the tools that prosecutors in our punishment carceral system has, approximately 94% average of 94% of people take plea deals. So when you look at quote-unquote mass incarceration, people are taking plea deals because these mandatory minimums, these, light, these extreme sentences are actually tools leveraged by district attorneys to force mm-hmm. you to take a, a plea deal. So when you have this, oh, you know, we're looking at uh, with all these enhancements, uh, 100 years, but we're going to offer you 25 years. So take 25 or if you go to trial, we're going to, you know, we're going to give you the book. All right,
0: well, let's transition, man. Thank you so much for kind of level setting on what we're talking about, the history behind it, everything that's going on. We heard a bit about your story and like how you came into this. If you're comfortable telling your story, both from the beginning on how you got involved in the system and then also like how you transitioned that experience into your, your work today.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, just quickly to to again establish the context that with a group of friends was to take a $1,000 worth of weed from a person I didn't know in a fake, I guess "quote unquote" drug deal, and once he handed it to me, I was to run into a car, and the driver would drive off. No guns, knives, weapons were to be used. The two people that were that knew this this gentleman, they said that since we know him and you don't know him at none, you know, we're gonna say that you want to buy it from him. We're just setting up uh, you buying purchasing this weed, and then we'll act like we don't know what happened after you ate. Um, so that's what I agreed to um, impulsively, immediately. I was 18 years old. And so because I didn't neither of us had a car, they called up one of their friends to be the, quote unquote, the getaway driver. When this young man came down, he handed me the weed and in the middle of this. When he handed it to me my then co-defendant, the quote unquote, getaway driver, appeared to pull this young man out of the car. And it looked like to me that they were fighting in the middle of the road. It was at nighttime. And so I got out of the car and I yelled, like, what are you doing? Like, I have the stuff like, get, what are you doing? Long story short, we, we we leave. The next morning, I was arrested, and that's when I was taken into the interrogation room. I'm thinking that this is, oh, they got me for the weed, or possession of, and this is when weed was illegal um, in California. You know, oh, they got me for possession of weed. I don't know what they got me for. I'm thinking I'm gonna do a couple of months. And, you know, I don't even know how long. I don't even have a concept of time. And when I got into the room, they that's when the detective, whoever he was, he said that we are, um, you know, you're being charged with robbery and murder. And right when he said that, I just, it just didn't make sense. I didn't understand what he was, I, I didn't know someone had lost their life. Like, what are you talking about murder? And then that's when he told me that it appeared a young man was stabbed. And so that's when I learned about the felony murder rule that I was involved in the felony, which was the robbery. Right. And I'm equally guilty of the loss of life. Um, and like I said, I took full responsibility for what I did and remorse and guilt. I remember just crying for, I mean, it's, it's that in itself a traumatizing. And so for, for multiple reasons, just my involvement, right? Like, the amends that I wanted to make, the apology, I, there was no place for that. But anyways, when I learned about the felony murder rule specifically, um, I knew that I, I was guilty and I knew that when I was going to go to trial, that I was going to get found guilty because all they had to do was prove that I was guilty of an intent to commit a robbery. That's all it came down to. And that carried the 25 to life sentence. So eventually when I was went to trial, found guilty, but I always knew that even an appeal would not get me out of prison. Now, sure, there was a hope of ineffective of counsel or the court, you know, whatever. Uh, there was an error here. But the truth is, in the law, the court did not make an error. Like everything was right within the law. Yeah. So I knew that the only way for me to go home is do do 25 years and try to get out from the parole board, which is still highly like unlikely mm-hmm. or the law needed to change. Felony murder rule needs to be abolished or amended. Um, so that was always like, I even started researching when I was in County jail. like who's talking about this? Is there a way, I, I don't know how to change a law. Like, is there a way to do that? Right. Long story short, about 12 years into my incarceration, um, I get to a different facility where there's more people in the community, community-based organizers, uh, people who were working on legislation. What was the new facility? San Quentin. San Quentin. San Quentin. So again, long story short, we co-founded an organization, uh, inside outside collaboration with, by the way, my now wife. And our, one day she asked me in San Quentin, she was coming and she was working at Human Rights Watch at that time. And she was coming to this facility and she says, hey, how long do you have before you go home? And I was like, I think about 12 more years before I go to the parole board. And, she's, and she said like, is there any other way? I was like the only other way, which I always knew was the felony murder rule had to be abolished or amended. And she says, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's get rid of it. I'm like, sure. Uh, Quite literally those words, right? Like, like, sure, let's do it. And then after that, it was a very methodical, meticulous process, um, step-by-step. So two to three years later, uh, the bill passes. And by the way, during this time, we we started our organization, Restore Justice. So from under that framework uh, or that organization, we're able to kind of like uplift this bill. That ended up, you know, it's called the felony murder rule bill, um, but it was called Senate Bill 1437. And so we're working with uh, community, working with, you know, uh, trying to get this passed through the legislature. We're working with... um, How how does
0: that work? So you propose for the bill to get to like the, the you know, to the governor's desk or is it something that is an amendment that people vote on? How, how did, what, what was the channel for it to pass?
1: The channel was the legislative process. So in California, we have, uh, we have 120 state legislators, um, which are 40 state senators, 80 members. And so the process that we took that you're asking was what legislator is going to put their name on a bill called the felony murder rule. The language is so like, uh, scary, right? And so Nancy Skinner was a state legislator that put her name on the bill that in itself took about what, what I said six months, like officially right through the legislative cycle. When I say two to three years, I mean that it took us that long to work on it, organize around it, start you know, from inception to to end.
0: And what do you think as this thing's going along i just wonder to the degree you're trying to practice like non-attachment or you know to the outcome like there's such a huge impact not only you know on yourself you're also very like empathetic person so on so many other people i'm sure you're a lot of thoughts are going through your head as it like hits the next hurdle and the next hurdle i just wonder how you're feeling during that whole time and then it passes and like what what's your immediate reaction you said you were a little bit cynical about like how it how it's going to be then executed on
1: yeah so i think one of the difficult things were like being in prison i was very cautious during my entire incarceration 16 years of how i hoped yeah i always hoped very low very very low because i was just tired of like hoping high and bubbles being bursted so i always i believed in my head was if I hope very low, the fall isn't as hard. Mm. So I'll quickly share the story that the bill passed in August of 2018. It wouldn't officially go into effect until January of 2019. So one night in January, in January, like 17th, I was awakened by correctional staff and he slides two like midnight. He wakes me up, he slides two trash bags under my cell and says, hey, pack your 16 years worth of property. You're going to county jail, the county jail uh, jurisdiction is coming to pick you up. And I'm like, here we go again with this clerical error. Right. So real quick, I want to share that. What, I, what I'm dealing with is I spent four years in county jail, in that county jail. Wow. Four years. So that's from 18 years old to 22 years old on a 23 hour and 15 minute lockdown every day. What means is for four my, my first four years of my time started off with, four, I had 45 minutes out of my cell for to either shower, workout, use the phones, whatever, no radio in your cell, just you, your celly, books and reflection for four years. That's how I did my time. And what that looked like was in the court hearings was I would go to court. Sometimes it would be like, oh, sorry, you're you're this is a clerical error. Go back. And that means like from 4 a.m. to 4 p.m., I would be in the bullpen. Right. Uh, What that means is, hey, I I go to court, um, get up at 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. And all I do is go to court. And They say that, hey, come back in five months, come back in four months, come back in six months. We're waiving time. And like, that, that's what I grew up in my first four years. That's how I grew up in my in my carceral uh, sentence. So I'm expecting that, right? I'm expecting like, ah, uh, here we go again. Like yeah, I'm gonna go to court, yeah. I'm gonna get transferred. I'm gonna be taken away from my quote unquote comfort in, in San Quentin where I have a TV in my cell and I have community, people like I said, Alex, yourself, people like that were coming to the prison facility and offer me a sense of community. I don't wanna lose that. So anyways, that's what I was functioning from. To a point where when I was transferred, I was, uh, for, again, 4 a.m., woken, taken to the bullpen, finally taken into the courtroom. Where I was taken into the courtroom, the beck who escorted me there, he says, obviously handcuffed, he said, look, apparently a bunch of your family or supporters or whoever they are are here outside. I'm going to uh, walk you into the courtroom, unhandcuff you, and do not look back. People are going to walk in. You're going to probably hear noises. You're not allowed to look back. Um, your attorney will see you and you're in there and wait for the judge to step in. And I'm like, again, the whole time I'm like angry, fitted, hungry for two days. I'm sleep deprived. I haven't eaten food. Like I said, like just all those feelings, emotions. So I walk in the courtroom, my attorney's there, a bunch of people come in. I could hear, I could recognize some voices that I know. Apparently I could feel that the room is packed. So I turn to my attorney and I says, the first thing I said to my attorney was, Hey, is the, is the victim's family here? And i believe that that was on my mind immediately because i didn't want to re-victimize them or re-harm them in any way whether i was able to if i was to say something or if i if they saw me 15 16 years later whatever and my attorney said no they're not here and then my next question was uh hey as soon as this hearing or whatever this is over can you please tell the jail people to transport me back to state prison in san quentin that i want to go back to i don't want to be here i want to go back to san quentin i remember telling her Like, you know, I want the Super Bowl is next week. Like, I want to watch the Super Bowl (laughs) in my cell. So mind you, that's what's on my mind as I'm sitting waiting for the judge to come in. Moments later, like literally moments later, in walks the judge. This is the same judge that sentenced me to 25 to life, the one I saw for almost four years, the one that um, I was at trial with for approximately a month. Um, So, yes, in walks this judge. And this is how I remember the rest of this going. She says, uh, all right, Mr. Khan, I looked at the new legislation that passed. I looked at your files. And so, what I'm going to do here, and what I'm going to do today is I'm going to resentence you to three years. And again, Xander, I've done 16 years at that time. So she says, right. I'm going to resentence you to three years. It seems like you've done more than five times that amount. So, what I'm going to do is release you today. Wow. I heard gas cries in the background. And yeah, I mean, and then the judge said, I'm not putting you on parole or probation. That's excessive. Good luck, Mr. Khan. And about hours later, I'm going over to Francisco Oakland Bay Bridge that I grew up on, and like, that's...
0: I remember watching watching the interview of you. I had assumed watching that, because I knew about the work you were doing already, you know, be- before you released. And so, like, I had assumed, watching that, you kind of knew you were on the way out. It's wild thinking, you know, you walk out of that courthouse, there's these cameras there, and like, all this must be feeling like it's happening so fast.
1: Man, I, I just, you know... I will say this: that I was present. I mean, obviously, I was there. Things were, you know, I was receptive. Things were registering. But, th- but truthfully, man, like my, my, I was somewhere else, man. Like, I, I don't know where I was, and that's the thing that I was hungry, sleep deprived, traumatized. Then, like, just now, I mean, I just wanted to watch the Super Bowl five minutes ago, and you're telling me like <laughs> I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming home. Right. I wa- I wanted right. to watch the Super Bowl in a jail cell, in a prison cell. I mean, so my point is that yes, I come out to cameras and all that stuff, and I. And just I look back now, man, I've been out two years now and just um, I don't know, I don't know, man. Like, I still can't sum it up and, and describe the feeling and, and, and all of that, you know. And, and I ended up being the first person resentenced under the bill that we created from an organization that we created in prison. And it's just been a blessing and, and the work has continued. And so going all the way back to what you started this conversation with, with life and extreme sentences, our work in passing this bill was addressing that, mm. right? Addressing life sentences, extreme sentences. Um, there is no benefit in sentencing someone to 25 years, 15 years, whatever it is, giving those number, Like, what is our fixation on this number 10? 15 is going to heal you. 20, 25. There's no like data proving that that's that's what's safe for society. So our work has always been that.
0: You're you're in a rare situation. I know a lot of formerly incarcerated people that are doing reform work. You had a reform organization before you were out. So so you get out. You've already passed the bill. It's like a it's a unique situation where you your nonprofit has traction and a track record. Then you're out. I want to talk about kind of the, what's happened since then. The work you're doing
1: today. Um, the work that continued was like. Our, our, our focus is we want to highlight ways that show healthier systems of accountability that aren't about policing in prisons, um, healthier for survivors of harm, for people who have committed harm, who have done harm. But I will bring up today what we are doing. Next week, we're going to introduce a bill with our co-sponsors, our partners, are called Initiate Justice. So we're Restore Justice; they're Initiate Justice, and we are we want to end or significantly reduce the um, gun enhancements.
0: Just to define enhancement, so there there can be like a wrong, like a unlawful possession charge, and then on top of that, there's an enhancement, or the unlawful possession charge is the enhancement.
1: Basically, you can get you 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 have a gun or possession of a gun, or if you're with people who had a gun you could get a gun enhancement. Mm, I see. Yes. And we're looking at the number, Xana like 30,000 people. That's like, okay, uh, I have a friend who was given two years for great bodily injury, but 25 to life for the gun. Wow. But I want us to kind of move away from the object of a gun, because there's so much like fear mongering that happens with that, but move closer towards what what is it about 10 more years that makes you, like we just talked about, makes you more safer. You know, it's not about that. We need to move away from, sentencing and enhancements and like, and admit how dangerous and harmful they are to our communities.
0: Are you allowing yourself to hope high now with all these victories and kind of where you're at in life? I believe in
1: tangible hope, right? Like I have to see it. It has to to be rooted in reality Mm -hmm. uh, for me still. So do I still hope high? Yes and no, and more leaning towards no. But, But I think that I don't want to convolute it with excitement, right? So I I think excitement for me is much different than hope. Right. Um, I'm excited about this bill. But for me, I've learned, and I'm still learning that you have to fall in love with the, the struggle. You know, you have to fall in love. When you talk about making art, you have to fall in love with the process of making the art. And the result is great, right? Like, yeah, sure, I want to get to a result, the vision. And this is what I want the end thing end to look like. But you have to fall in love with the grind. Right. And that's where I think where I I keep my focus and try to put the blinders on. I like, I love doing this work. I'm gonna gonna keep doing it. I'm gonna keep building community and strengthening community, because the power is in us. And that's where I try to um, uh, fall in love with. I guess I have excitement towards the results.
0: All right, well, that's it, man. The floor is yours. If there's anything we haven't touched on that you want to share, now's
1: your time to share it. Um, Know what's happening locally. Know what efforts are being made. And more importantly, please learn more and more about abolition. My last words, I'm not, I don't want to plug anything or our organization, we're, we're fine you know, in that sense, but I just want to encourage everybody to study abolition, not to become an abolitionist, but just to have that framework in your mind.
0: Thank you for listening to What We Don't Know. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com WWDK. You can also follow us on social, We're WWDKpod on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. All right, take care.